Um, so get kind of the special thing that we get to do uh, this morning on top of the already special thing that is worship. So we're a part of a, a three campus church body. So we have Lakeland, we have Ocala, and then we also have Seabrook. So Pastor Oren and Miss Kara are here visiting us with all of their kids. What's up, Wits? Yeah. Uh, so Pastor Oren and Miss Kara have been called to Lakeland. So um, we did the uh, pastor swap, right? So we get to hear from Pastor Oren this morning as uh, he brings to us Proverbs. So as uh, he does that, all the kids, Kid Nation in the back, let's do it. All right. Good morning, everybody. I don't know. Does it work? Let's see. No worky. I don't hate work this thing. Wow, it's, it's official. I'm old. Can't even work a clicker. <laughs> it's, how, it's how it happens. Technology moves on without me, and I say I'm okay with it. <laughs> Uh, I just want to say I'm I'm so I'm so happy to be here this morning. I, I love Neighborhood Church. I love I love what <clears throat> I want to say I love what we're doing. I love what God is doing through Neighborhood Church, and I and I I love the connection. I love being being able to say I'm part of. Well, I'm planning a church in Lakeland, but I, I'm part of a church that's in Sebring and it's in Ocala and it's in Lakeland. And it's so, it's so funny. We we met a couple that visited our church. Um, uh, just a couple weeks ago, we had had dinner with them. We had them over to our house and getting to know them a little better. And uh, and they said uh, the guy said something about um, neighborhood church. <coughs> um, he was like, "Yeah, I, I feel it must be something new. I feel like I've I've just been hearing about that or la- like in the last year or so." I was like, "Cool." <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, it's not like making fun of it, but it was, it was like, I don't know if you've actually heard of us, but I love that there's a sense that like this is something God is doing. This is something bigger than uh, than these four walls, bigger than bigger than what we're just what you see here. So anyway, it's so cool. I did want to update you guys a little bit. <coughs> My wife uh, reminded me kindly that last time I was here, um, I got up and started preaching and gave no update on what was going on in Lakeland. So I apologize for that. So now you get twice as much update. Um, no, it's, it's so exciting, and I, I should have brought some pictures, but that was on the car ride up here, and I didn't put them in my PowerPoint. Um, but uh, just it, it's just amazing what, what God is doing um, through, through our... So we are part of, like, like Pastor Ryan said, Pastor Ryan, how's that feel? That title's like a week old. Um, it, I don't know, something doesn't feel right about it. No, it's good. It's good. Um, like, like Pastor Ryan said, you know, neighborhood church, you know, we're, we're part, connected to church in Sebring, church in Lakeland, but, but bigger than that, neighborhood church is part of a broader fellowship called the Karis Fellowship, and that's, that's kind of all over the country, and um, we had one of the churches um, up in Pennsylvania that we're connected with through the Karis Fellowship brought a crew of people down and, like, renovated our building in a week. Unbelievable. <laughs> And what took them a week to do, and then they left, you know, there's like a few projects left to do, and that's taken me a month and a half, <laughs> and I'm still not done. But it's just incredible, incredible, and just such a blessing to us as we get ready to launch a new church. Now it even feels like a new church. Um, you know, reconfigured some things so that it worked a little better for the ministries we were going to do. And um, anyway, that was just really exciting and a, and a huge encouragement to us. We've um, 
you know, a lot like you guys. You know, we've, we've seen uh, people start trickling in. People start to get a sense that God's doing something here, and I kind of want to be a part of it. And so, so anyway, we, we certainly appreciate your prayers, and uh, you know, we love being, love being part of what, what God is doing. We get, we, get a front, oops, sorry. we get a front row seat to what God is doing. That's cool. <coughs> Excuse me. If you'll turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, that's where we're going to mostly be this morning. I might hop around a little bit, but you don't have to go there. You don't have to go the other ones with me. I'll, I'll read them for you. But uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> let's read here, starting in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. And I just remember we didn't do the disciples' prayer because my clicker doesn't work and I don't know what to do. Does this thing take, does this thing take batteries? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, go ahead and click the... Here, thanks. <laughs> um, go ahead and click to the next slide. I forgot, you guys always do the disciples' prayer, and I got that in there. So let's, let's do that, and then we'll move on with Proverbs. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right, back to Proverbs chapter 3. I love that you guys do that. It's such a, um, so important to set the tone. Jesus said, pray like this. So we do. My son, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. <coughs> For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Well, who doesn't want that? Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with, with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, and those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, 
and the clouds drop down the dew. May God bless the reading of his word. Will you pray with me? (coughs) Heavenly Father, God, as we approach your word this morning, oh, give us a thirst for it. Give us a desire for wisdom. King Solomon, as he wrote these Proverbs, writes down the words of his father David, my son, get wisdom. Whatever you get, get wisdom. God, give us a strong desire to live our lives according to your word. God, help us to see your word as an authority in our lives, not just, not just a lot of good ideas if we, if we want to have things a little better, but, but as the word of God. God, may, be, may we be humbled by that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Trust God. That's the, uh, guys, you're going to have to click through the slides for me, so just kind of a... Uh, You'll just have to guess. you have to look ahead and see if it makes sense to click the next one. Um, uh, so I, I want to I set up one of the ways I've been talking about Proverbs as kind of a reminder as we approach the, the book that Proverbs is, is primarily probabilities, not promises. So in, in other words, there, there's kind of a moral logic to, to Proverbs. We'll get to that. But, but, but it's, you know, Proverbs focuses on the general rule, not the exceptions. And so... It, it, This is important. Here's why this is important. Because even though God is saying in the book of Proverbs, if you live your life like this, things will generally work out much better for you. That's kind of God built that into creation. He kind of built into this system that that when you live according to God's word, (laughs) things generally work out better. But it's not a promise. It's not a promise. There are exceptions. Here's why it's important to acknowledge that, because, because if, if, we, if we take the formula of do good and then you'll get good to the book of Proverbs, then, then we can get this idea that, well, well I, I gave enough money to the church, or I lived wisely, or I was faithful in my marriage, or I was fill in the blank, things that Proverbs tell us to do that are good. So therefore, God owes me good things. That is the prosperity gospel. And that is is not uh, consistent with the word of God. So it's important that as as we study the book of Proverbs, and they say, he says things like, um, keep these commandments, and you'll have a long life, and you'll be more wealthy, and you'll live longer, and you'll be healthy, and all this is like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Okay. We all like those things. Who doesn't, who doesn't want to be healthy, wealthy, and you know, live a long time? That sounds great. But God is not promising that. He's not saying, hey, here's the secret. Do these things, I'll give you this. He is saying, if you live your life according to the principles laid out in Scripture, generally speaking, you will be more successful in these areas. But it's not a promise. So Proverbs focuses on the general rule, general rule, not the exception. There are some notable exceptions in Scripture. Um, the book of Job, 
Have you read that one? We're going to look at a little bit of that later, later um, in, in uh, where God, God speaks to Job. It's one of my favorite chapters in all scripture. Um, Job is certainly an exception. He was a righteous man, and God allowed just calamity into his life. Well, wait a minute. So is that inconsistent with scripture? No, Proverbs is not a promise. Proverbs is probabilities. God still does according to his will. (coughs) Another notable exception is the book of Ecclesiastes, in which um, the preacher in in Ecclesiastes looks around him and sees that sometimes the wicked prosper. Well, I thought crime didn't pay, but, you know, look at these people who don't follow God, and, well, look at that. Rain falls on their field, too. And their stuff grows, and the wicked seem to prosper. Certainly, (coughs) exceptions, and it's important to acknowledge that uh, God doesn't settle all of his accounts on this side of eternity. And we don't don't see... (laughs) how it all shakes out from this side. Another very notable exception is a um, story of a a man in the New Testament. You may have heard of him. His name is Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless life and died by the most gruesome form of execution, the creative minds of the Roman Empire could come up with to be a spectacle to everybody else, don't mess with Rome. For you and me. A notable exception. And so it's important that to be consistent with Scripture, we look at the book of Proverbs and we have to say, these aren't promises, this is not a formula of how to get, how to get good. How to get stuff from God. If I want, if I want money, if I want um, possessions, if I want health, if I want long life, just do these things and then God owes you those things. No, that's not, that's not, what, that's not what it's saying. It's saying do these things and generally <coughs> things will work out um, better for you. Let's hit the next slide there. Um, there's, I, I took this one from the, uh, the Bible Project. If, you, if you're unfamiliar with them, uh, particularly if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, I cannot recommend highly enough um, their videos um, that are just kind of overviews of a book. Um, that can be a great way as you begin to study a new book in, in these sermons to just kind of, uh, in, in your own time, watch some of those and see how the pieces fit into the whole. Um, but the moral, there's kind of a moral logic to the book of Proverbs that we see repeated over and over, that wisdom and fear of the Lord um, lead to uh, living, living virtuously, having integrity, being generous, and that that leads to success and peace in your life, generally speaking. And also, generally speaking, um, foolishness and evil, if that's in our hearts, then, then that leads us to selfish and prideful living, which very often results in ruin and shame. And so there is the, this moral logic is what we see kind of broken down in, in specific areas of life throughout the book of Proverbs. So, there's my little intro to the book of Proverbs. That uh, just uh, as we kind of couch this this sermon that we're going to talk about here in chapter three, see how it fits into the whole. Um, go ahead to the next one there. Um, so so in the first first couple of uh, first couple of chapter first chapter of Proverbs, we looked at you know wisdom. What is it? Where does it come from? How do we get it? Wisdom is applied knowledge. 
Not just having knowledge, but how to apply it. Not just knowing what to say, but knowing when to say it. That kind of thing. Where does it come from? When do, wisdom comes from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How do we get it? James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. We see this here in, in, in chapter 4, which we, we didn't get to, but, but that first part of chapter 4 is, is David... Because Solomon is the one that wrote it, and he's talking about, I remember when I was a boy, my dad told me, who was his dad? King David. My dad told me, it says right here, when I was a son with my father, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight, and whatever you get, get wisdom. He couldn't emphasize that enough, and then when God gave Solomon, the opportunity, when Solomon ascended the throne, God said to Solomon, ask me, what shall I give you? Ask me anything. And what did Solomon say? He remembered the words of his father, and he said, I need wisdom. Because David had put that in his heart at an early age. Whatever you get, get wisdom. How do we get it? Ask it of God. Uh, Go ahead and hit the next one. Last week, uh, because I know I've been preaching the same passages that Pastor Michael's been preaching, and I'm sure our sermons are, uh, are not the same. <laughs> We're not preaching the same notes, but we are preaching the same passage, and we learned last week about choosing our friends wisely. Our friends have a huge influence on us, and it matters who we surround ourselves with. And this week, <coughs> excuse me, go ahead and hit the next slide there. Um, this, this week, we are learning about trusting God. Trust God always in everything. Looking here at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. One of, one of the most, um, most memorized passages in Scripture, I would say. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths or he will direct your paths. And we should, always, we should also tack on verse 7. If you didn't memorize verse 7 with that, memorize that one too. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so I want to look at four things. Um, The four things are to trust God's example, trust God's wisdom, trust him with your money, and trust his correction. And so so as as we read through these first 12 verses of chapter 3, we kind of see that. Trust God's example, trust his wisdom, trust him with your money, and trust his correction, his discipline in our lives. And so, <clears throat> so let's look at that here. These first, um, these first couple of verses, let not steadfast love, which in some places, some translations is translated mercy, let not mercy or steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Okay, who wants to be successful in life? Me too. Well, that begs a question. What is your measure of success? <laughs> because that's, whether or not you've achieved that is going to depend on how you measure success. Well, to find success in the sight of God 
That means we are measuring our success by God's yardstick. Um, you don't have to turn there with me because it's kind of hard to find, but I'm going to turn to Micah chapter 6. Micah is, uh, is one of those minor prophet books that I should have put a bookmark in because it's always hard to find. And I got to like sing the, sing the Old Testament book song in my head to try to remember how to. Ecclesiastes, I'll say Daniel. <laughs> Micah 6 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. Hey, listen to that. This is God's yardstick. This is God's measure of success. Are you. Are, have, have, you, have, you, have you arrived? Okay, let's just, let me just rip that bandaid off. You're never going to arrive. But how are you doing? How are, how are we doing? How are we measuring the success in our lives? <coughs> Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That last one is kind of two parts. Walk with God. Walk humbly with God. The example, and we see it here in, in chapter 3 in these, these couple of verses, talking about steadfast love and faithfulness. That chapter in, in, in Micah 6, 8, you know, talking about justice, mercy, kindness, humility, the scripture reading that Sophie read for us this morning from Philippians chapter 2 about humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. The example of Christ and the measure that God gives us in scripture ought to be the, the things that we model our lives after. Trust God's example. The New Testament, Paul talks, uh, challenges the New Testament church not to be, don't be conformed to the likeness of this world. I'm going I'm to circle back to this here in a, in a little bit, but, but, but don't let the culture around you determine your measure of success, your measure of right and wrong, your moral compass has got to point north according to scripture, not according to culture. And, and there, are, there, are, there are issues in our culture right now, right at the forefront, that could not, be, could not draw a starker contrast with Scripture than just about anything. All the way down to the core identity of who am I and how has God made me. Don't let culture set your moral compass. Scripture has to be where your moral compass points. Trust God's example. Trust his character, that that's the character traits that we ought to reflect. <clears throat> Moving on, because we've got we to cover, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, verses five through eight, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. <clears throat> in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Interesting that 
he's, he's talking about humbling ourselves before God. He's talking about trusting God's wisdom. And he includes, like, your, he kind of tacks your physical health onto that. If you, if you circle back to verse 2, length of days, years of life, and peace they will add to you. In another, in another place later in this, in this chapter where we read in, in verse 17, talking about wisdom, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. Does anybody not want that in their lives? How many of you just love it when you've got constant friction in your life, at work, at home, Every place you, I know, so, so, you know Wheelocks thrive on that. And, you know, so, yeah, I, yeah uh, in, in, case, in case you haven't, I think you all know this, but uh, Sarah's brother, uh, Pastor Matt, is uh, our administrative pastor. And so, um, you know, I'll just leave that right there. <laughs> we love Pastor Matt. Nobody enjoys that. Oh, man, you ever be like driving and like somebody's like road raging really bad and you just think to yourself was that my wife no never mind that's me uh, no do, do you ever do you ever think to yourself how do you drive around like with a resting anger level of like 11 all the time how are you how are you just that like bubbling under the surface that like Somebody driving in a way that is annoying to you just sets you off. It's like, man, you should probably not be behind the wheel. Nobody likes that. Nobody enjoys. I mean, that, that is the kind of, I mean, that kind of friction, that kind of, that kind of turmoil in your relationships will physically wear you down to the point it will shave years off your life either because it wears you out or because you drive like a maniac and get yourself killed. Um, it could go either way. <clears throat> but trust God's wisdom. Why should we trust God's wisdom? Well, he knows more than us. He knows, not only does he know more than us, you know, there's this concept that you don't know what you don't know. And not that like, I don't know how to, it, uh, how, do, how do I explain this? It, it's, it's not just that, oh, I don't know how to do this thing. It's like, no, you don't even know that you don't know how to do that. Because you haven't even, you, know, you, you don't know what you don't know. In other words, not only do you not know it, but you don't even know that you don't know it. And, and that's, that's the thing with <laughs> trusting God's wisdom, is that he knows so much more not just because he made the world, he invented wisdom. This moral logic that we see, God invented that. I was having a conversation with someone just the other day. The passage of time. Yeah, he invented that too. All of it. Trust God's wisdom. I want, I want us to, you can, if you want to turn with me, it's just back a couple of books. Um, the book of Psalms is kind of right in between Proverbs and Job. If you turn to the end of the book of Job, <coughs> excuse me, and starting in, in, uh, in chapter 38, oh, I love this. This is 38 to the end of the, I mean, if you just, the whole book of Job is pretty good, but like, okay, it's all good. It's scripture, but like my favorite is 38 
chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41, like those, those chapters is all God talking about himself. I mean, rarely in scripture do you find a place, I think that might be the largest chunk in scripture in which God is not just speaking, but he is, he is describing himself. Job has just been through something I will wager to say no one in this room can even imagine. He just lost everything. Everything. Well, everything except his faith and trust in God. You could make the argument due to his, the question that he asks God that, that maybe, maybe his faith got shaken just a little bit there at the end. But, and, and to, uh, <laughs> to add insult on top of injury, his three friends had real nice things to say about how terrible his life must have been. And Job... Job had some questions for God. Basically, if I can summarize them, basically along the lines of, God, I, I trust you and I have trusted you, but like I thought you were really just, but I know I've lived with integrity before you. And this doesn't quite seem to fit with what I thought who I thought you were. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Oh, man. <laughs> I love this. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Whew. Oh, man. And, and <laughs> I mean, there's not time to read all. I wish I could just read all of it. Every time I read this, it is so humbling. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you. You make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? <laughs> Tell me if you have understanding. This is, this, and it's just all rhetorical questions. Who determined its measurements? Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? It just got, I'm just going to kind of skip, skip ahead through, through a bunch of stuff here. Uh, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? <laughs> have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Have you seen where they come from? It just, I mean, for like two chapters solid, God just peppers him with all these rhetorical questions. Remind me again, Job, about all of this, you know, since you're going to, basically, since, since you're going to, you want to talk to me about, um, coach me on what justice really is. You're, you're going to coach me on, on, on how things ought to be done, then, then, then remind me again where you were when I laid the foundation of the earth. It, it can seem a little harsh because 
God just allowed Job to go through all of this hardship in his life with no explanation. Even though we would say he was undeserving. Can, can we just pause and remind ourselves of a few truths from the book of Romans? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one, no one with the notable exception of Jesus Christ, who is undeserving of God's wrath. We have to remind ourselves of that. When we think that we're going through something that is, you know, we deserve better. Um, If you deserve better than what you're getting out of life, if that's true, then God is not just. And God is just, so it must not be true. Now, I don't, I don't want bad things for anyone. I don't want anyone to be miserable in their lives, certainly not someone who seeks after God. And the moral logic of Proverbs says that, generally speaking, that will usually not be the case. But there are times and seasons in which God uses hardship to teach us things. God allows things into our lives, and we have to trust the things that come from God's hand. We, we, I, I looked at this last week when I was talking about trusting, you know, um, choosing our friends carefully. And there's, there's a verse in Proverbs that says that... Um, that that it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, but be, be wary when an enemy puts their arm around your shoulder. In, in other words, those that love you may sometimes hurt you, but not without good reason. God loves you. And if you're seeking after him and following after him, and he allows hardship in your life anyway, and I mean the kind of hardship that's not the result of your poor choices, then he is teaching you. Don't just pray to be allowed out from under this uncomfortable thing. Pray for God's wisdom in the trial. If God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to interact with you through trials. James says, count it all joy. Why would we count it all joy? Nobody likes trials. Nobody likes hardship. Nobody likes difficult things. But who would not like to be instructed by God himself? If God is doing that in your life, and he does, don't pray to just get out of it. A lot of times we need to sit in it. We need to, to, to search the scriptures. We need to draw closer to God and ask him, what is, what can I learn? Teach me wisdom.
trust his wisdom. Um, one more verse I want to specifically highlight here in Job chapter 41. He, he spends the first, he's been talking about Leviathan, which I could go, I'm not even going to go there. I just, it's real cool. I think there's dragons in the Bible. But anyway, um, this, well, there's definitely one in Revelation. We know that. Um, but uh, Leviathan, which uh, I just want to submit, is not a creature we have ever seen this side of the flood that we've seen. He describes this incredible creature against whom no one can stand. He says here in verse 10, no one is so fierce that he dares stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Oh, man, that is, that is so humbling. We, if we're not humbled by these words, like we, uh, we need to spend a little more time in it. He describes this, in, this, incredible, this incredible beast who, which people were obviously familiar with, and then and, and describes it in just all of this detail that like people people don't mess with this guy. I made him. If you can't stand before Leviathan, how then who can stand before me? <coughs> we must be humbled by God's wisdom. Coming back to, to Proverbs. We have to be humbled by God's wisdom. We have to trust his wisdom. We have to trust that when his wisdom doesn't square with what we think our wisdom is, that he's right. The assumption has to be that God is right and we are wrong, and the one that needs to change is me, not God. Trust his example. Trust his wisdom. Trust him with your money. It almost seems odd that this, this very specific issue is, uh, is put in here, but, but what do we know? <laughs> what do we know that we uh, are getting ready to study in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6? We just finished up Matthew chapter 5. After this Proverbs series, we're going to study, um, study a little bit about uh, you know, Christian disciplines and how to, how, to, um, how to be a healthy Christian and how to grow in our walk with Christ, and then we're going to get back to the Sermon on the Mount and, and work through Matthew chapter 6. Here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus is talking about the, what we call the treasure principle. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said that. Why did he say that? Because he knows us. He made us, and he knows our hearts, and he knows that, man, if you want to know if you want to know everything there is to know about someone's value system, just get a copy of their bank statement. It, it's true, no matter how much we try to like, explain our way out of it, that it's not true. The reality is our priorities, what is important to us, how we, um, how we order our lives, the things that we prioritize over other things is is laid out nowhere more clearly than in, the, in our bank ledger. And there is this reality that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. We will invest in the things that are important to us. And, and he says here, honor the Lord 
with your wealth. Well, we have, we have some, <coughs> some core values as Neighborhood Church, and if those are unfamiliar to you, they are on the wall back there, and they're also in this really cool trifold that Michael designed, and we in Lakeland copied and only changed one picture and the colors, but um, <laughs> because they're the same values. And one of them is that uh, we hold God's gifts with open hands. God gives each of us resources, talents, abilities, and we share them generously with others because we recognize that any, any wealth, any possessions, any stuff that we have all comes from God and belongs to God. Let me say that again. It, it, it all comes from God, yes, but it's also still God's. I, I heard a, a pastor say he had, he had an elder that um, often when things came up, it was like something broke and he had to spend a bunch of money to fix it, like an air conditioner or something. This elder would always kind of remind them and kind of bring them back to it. He said, well, well, God, that is a, it's an interesting way you want us to spend your money. But that's an important perspective to have that it's God's, and we ought to let him direct these things. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your produce, and your barns will be filled with plenty. There, there, is, there, is, there is truth behind the fact that, um, generally speaking, I, I'm going to say wealthy people, and you're going to think of like, you know, the ultra-rich billionaires, and I'm not even talking about them. I'm talking about like your, your average millionaire that you don't even know is a millionaire and lives two doors down from you or whatever. Almost universally, they tend to be some of the most generous people that you know. Even if you don't know they're wealthy, you know they're generous. God has kind of built into the paradigm of creation that generosity, um, generally speaking, does not result in less. It is a reflection of God's character, and it can often result in more. God blesses that. The last one, trust his correction, trust his reproof. Verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father or the son in whom he delights. This is, can, it, can we go back to the humility thing? Humble ourselves. Like anytime, anytime we feel like, oh, God's correcting me and I don't like it, we kind of bristle at it a little bit. Just go back and read those last couple of chapters of Job and uh, just remember where our spot in creation in the created order is. Um, it's above a lot of things, but it is definitely well underneath God. He is God and we are not. And when he corrects us, oh man, did your parents ever correct you? Did you, did you really enjoy that? Yeah, me neither. If you just think of, think of put yourself back in your rebellious teenager mindset, don't stay there, but like, you know, you're like, think, think of like your attitude toward correction then. Don't do that. Don't have that mindset, don't have that reaction to God's correction in your life. For the Lord reproves, the Lord corrects those he loves. 
Did you have a friend? Or maybe it was you. It wasn't me. Um, but, it, but did you have a friend in school? Or maybe you, were, maybe you were this person when you were younger that your parents really didn't set any boundaries for you. They kind of let you do whatever they want. Every once in a while, they'd yell at you because you did something they didn't like. But like, they didn't really, oh, you did that? Well, whatever, figure it out. I, I had a friend that was kind of like that. I mean, it, I mean, he would still get in trouble for stuff. You know, his, his parents would rail on him for you know, this or that, you know, just kind of out of the, it was like, they didn't put any guardrails up, so how, did, how would he know? But one of the best ways you can love your kids is to have clearly defined boundaries of right and wrong, what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. We, we talk about this with couples we counsel with on, you know, if they ask, on parenting. Your, kid, your kids want to know where the lines are. They're begging you. you know, sometimes it's, you have to interpret that. You know, a two- or three-year-old that's just you know, like impossible to handle. It's like this kid is impossible to handle because they are, they, they're in their own way asking you where the lines are, and you're not giving them a clear answer. You love your kids when you set up boundaries. You love your kids when you don't let them stick stuff in the electrical socket because that can hurt them. We love them by correcting them in those situations. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Trust his example. Trust his wisdom. Trust him with your money. Trust his correction and his reproof. Um, you don't have to turn there again, but uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I know I've got I've to wrap this up and land the plane here real soon. But 2 Samuel chapter 12 is a, um, is a passage in Scripture. It's... it's it's immediately following David's incredible sin in which he slept with another man's wife, not just any other man. You realize Uriah the Hittite, his name shows up somewhere else on the list of David's mighty men. He was one of like those 30 men that were like David's prized warriors that led the army. <laughs> one of those guys. David sleeps with his wife, gets her pregnant, and ultimately has the guy killed to cover it up. Unbelievable. And after this, <coughs> the Lord tells the prophet Nathan what's up. And Nathan goes before David and tells him this story about a, a rich man who had tons and tons of flocks and herds and a poor man that lived next door that really just had one lamb. And somebody came over to the rich man's house and he didn't want to kill any of his own lamb, so he forcibly took the poor man's lamb and slaughtered it and fed it to his guests. And David's like, wait, this happened? He says to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I appointed you. I anointed you king over Israel. I, I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and all this. And if this were too little, I would have added to you so much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do this thing? The Lord sends Nathan to correct David. And this I'll tell you why this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. 
got a lot of favorite passages. I'm pretty much just taking all my favorites. Um, hey, I got a couple other favorites. I'm saving for next time I'll come up here. Um, one of the reasons I love this is David, who did this horrible thing, is, is known in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Why is he called a man after God's own heart who did these, these terrible things? I mean, he also did great things, but he did some terrible things. Why does God forgive him? Why does God still call him that and allow him to be known as that? Because when the Lord sent correction to David for his sin, verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. God's not okay with our sin. He's not. I'm not going to say that, and I hope you don't hear me say that. God is not okay with our sin. He also knows that all have sinned. And he cares very deeply. I might even argue more. He cares very deeply how we respond to our sin. He knows we have sin. How do you respond to your sin? When God sends correction into your life, how do you respond? Do you justify yourself? Do you make excuses and say, well, it's okay that I did that. Well, be, well, you know, they did this. Or, well, I'm in this situation. It's like, well, you don't understand. Let me tell you this sob story about why it's okay to, you know, kill, kill a baby that's growing inside of someone. You see, if, if, you, if, you know, uh, if you know how sad the story is, you should be okay with it. Uh, no. How about when God corrects us, we say, I've sinned against the Lord. Did David sin against anyone else? Sure. <laughs> uh, at least two or three other people, uh, plus the whole country. Primarily and first, I've sinned against the Lord. David's response to his sin matters a lot. Just like our response to our sin matters a lot. Do not despise the Lord's correction. He reproves and disciplines those he loves. If God, if God sends uh, some, so let's be honest, this is part of being, being a, the church isn't just a place to attend, it's a family to belong to. And when we belong to a healthy church, part of what we're saying, you know, with the idea of like, like being a, a member or whatever you want to call it, but being a committed, like, member of a local church means that I am submitting myself to the accountability of the local church. I am living my life with these people in such a way that when there's sin in my life, when I get out of line, there's a family of people who are going to come around me and say, hey man, what's up? What's, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Hey, I see this in your life. Maybe just checking out. Hey, how are you doing? How can I help? Also, you need to stop doing that. It's important to place ourselves in a situation where we have that accountability, and it's also crucial that when we receive that accountability, we respond in a way that is submitting to it. I've sinned against the Lord. Don't despise the Lord's reproof. He does it because he loves you. I'm going to close with this. One of our other six core values, it's the second one. The first one is we put Jesus first, because how do you say we put Jesus first if you don't say it first? It's like real important. Right under that is we trust the Bible. We depend on Scripture as our primary guide for life because God leads us most 
directly through his word. This moral compass always points north. Our moral compass by default, I'm not going to say what movie it's from, but there's a movie in which a guy's moral compass was described as being so, so out of whack, he'd be lucky to find his way out of this room. That, that's, that's us without God and his word. We trust scripture as our primary guide for life because that's how God leads us most directly. Trusting the Bible means, means a few things. Trusting the Bible means we let scripture tell us how we ought to act. Our actions, how we live, ought to line up with scripture. And, and trusting the Bible means that we allow scripture to inform how we act. It goes a little further than that. We are going to allow scripture to inform how we think. Because our, we act the way we act because we think the way we think. Scripture can tell us what to do and how to think about it. Let me take this one step further. We allow Scripture to tell us how to feel. Um, Max, if you could hit one of, the, one of the last slides there. I've got a quote from Matthew Henry I'd like to read. Um, the, um, I think about this with, the, with, with some of these issues some of the identity issues, certainly the abortion issue that is just huge on the world scene right now. These are not the only issues, but these are at the forefront. Scripture can tell us how to feel about that. You gotta understand, there, there, is, there, there, are, there are multiple sides of an issue that are telling us, well, you ought to feel this way because listen to this story. Well, no, you ought to feel this way because listen to this story. There's always a story. How about if we allow Scripture to inform our hearts, not just our minds, but we allow God to tell us which way north is on the moral compass, and we allow God to tell us how we ought to feel because the way we feel is going to affect the way we think, and the way we think is going to affect more than anything the way that we act. Uh, can, can, we get that, can we get that slide? Is it up? Oh, it's not a, no, just advance it a little, yep, keep going, keep going, You're almost there, hey, there we go, Matthew Henry, who was a, a commentary, wrote a commentary on the Bible, he said, our wills and affections must be subject to them, talking about God's commandments, this is on uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, our wills and affections must be subject to God's commandments and must in everything conform to them, not only our heads, but our hearts must keep God's commandments. Trust God in everything. He's right. He's always right. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the privilege to preach your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you that you're doing something in this church and in this community, but God, thank you that you're doing something in my heart. Thank you that even though your plans are, are global, you hold the universe in your hand, and yet you condescend down to my level and work on my heart. God, may I always be humbled by that. 
God, may I always trust you in everything and help me to never despise your correction, your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.